Welcome to the Vision Lab podcast, where we give a voice to the voiceless. I'm Ryan Cuffey, alongside with my co-host, Mr. Ryan Mosley. Here in the Vision Lab, we put pen to pad and dive deep to uncover your passions and how you can arrive there. The Vision Lab is a platform focused on growth and exploring the developmental path of people's visions and dreams and how those dreams can come into reality. It's all about tapping into and becoming the best versions of ourselves through self-discovery, self-examination, and self-actualization. Hey, Mo, what do we have on the show today? Cuff, today's guest is a native of my hometown, Mesquite, Texas. He played cornerback at the University of Texas in the mid-2000s, including winning a national championship in the famous 2006 Rose Bowl game. He had a nine-year career in the NFL, where he spent time with the 49ers, the Raiders, and the Patriots. He now runs his own charity foundation, Brown's Kids. He is the face of his own clothing line and a proud husband and father of four. Please welcome Terrell Brown to the Vision Lab podcast. T. Brown, what up, though? Man, what's good? Thank y'all for having me. Appreciate you coming out, bro. Thank uh, you for answering, answering my message. Absolutely. Al- always, man. Shit, we family. You know better than that. Yes, sir. So we'll get right to it, man. Uh, before we kind of get into what you got going on off the field, this is a, a big thing at the time we're talking. Uh, you know, Gronk retired. Uh, basically, right to the Super Bowl, and Andrew Luck just stepped down a few days ago. Right. Your initial thoughts when you saw Andrew Luck, who you know some people would consider in his prime, if you will, just say, you know what, I'm tired of my body being battered, I'm out. The body can only withstand so much. And uh, after years and years of doing this, and he's probably played the game since being uh, in Pop Warner, I would say that his body is tired and he's mentally, physically, and emotionally drained. And sometimes, you know, as an athlete, uh, you can get to that point after having multiple surgeries because it's not the only thing that affects is not just your body, but it affects your mind too. It's funny you said the word mind. From your perspective and what you dealt with when you decided you wanted to retire, can you fill in the everyday fan who, you know, is looking forward to, to watching the games on Sunday? It most people have a sense, you know, if you ever had broken a bone or whatnot, okay, you got to heal up or whatnot. But can you talk about the mental strain it really takes on a player? Oh yeah, it's a it's definitely a hustle. You know, uh it's something that it's a never ending job. You do it nine to five and That's 365. Some people don't realize that either. Yeah, they think you just get up, you go run a few plays, and then that's it, and you get an opportunity to go home. But most of these guys, you know, we invest a lot of time, money, energy, and effort into this. And we're there at the job from maybe 6 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock in the evening, and we only get one day off a week. And you have to be prepared because you only get 16 games a year. So being mentally, physically, and emotionally prepared for all 16 games – it's definitely hard, you know, and it takes a toll on you. When did you know it was time for you to say, you know what, I'm done? Like, I can keep I can keep pushing and keep trying to squeeze out another year here or there. But when did you say, okay, you know what, I'm finished? Uh, I knew when I was done, when I, when I called uh, going to practice a job, going to work. Once you start calling it work, it's no longer fun to you anymore. And was- you start treating it like a job, not like. What I so, love to do. What I love to do and get up and just, hey, look. Let's go play. Let's play. Yeah. Now, were you in your ninth year at that point? Yeah, I was in my ninth year. I ended up, uh, I broke my foot my eighth year with uh, with the Raiders, but I played the rest of the season with a broken foot. I went on IR the last game of the season. Uh, ended up having foot surgery with Dr. Anderson in Carolina. Famous uh, Dr. Anderson. <clears throat> I was non-weight bearing for four months. Wow. Um. After doing that, I went through an extensive rehab for almost another four to five months. Then I had an opportunity and we got a call 
for a workout with the Patriots. I worked out with the Patriots and I got signed right after working out with those those guys. I ended up winning a starting job in 2015, uh, going in just a month right before training camp. So I won a starting job, but I could I could tell that my foot wasn't responding how it would respond after practice because I couldn't walk after practice. Wow. So I knew some my time was limited. <laughs> Right, for yeah. sure. Was it one of those things where at practice, you know, take your shoe off and just swell up, or you just knew it was already right? swollen. It was already swollen in the cleat, oh, so okay. get trying to get the cleat off was the problem. So I was looking, I would, I would, I would look myself in the mirror and say, "Man, how much more can you take? How much more can your body actually take?" And it got to a point where I fractured my foot again, and I ended up going on IR, and that was the end of my career. And you had to deal with a lot of different. Um, stresses and and, and di- very difficult situations that you you've had to overcome right. um i want to kind of turn back the the clock and talk about because you have such a strong mental uh mentality if you will um can you walk us through what it was like coming from queens new york moving to texas and what, some of the things that you had to experience on your on your rise um i would say you know, my, my journey is a humbling journey, but I would also say this journey and this path has been um, one to remember. You know, I, I was speaking to my stepmother uh, a few months ago and I was telling her if I had to do it all over again, would I would I still do it? And I told her, hell no. Really? <laughs> yeah, because it was hard, my man. I would say... Um, my my parent my mother had me at the age of 17 my father was 19 in uh in, in Queens New York uh we, they moved me out of our situation in Left Rack City and moved us to Texas when I was 6 years old uh my father wasn't going to come with us at first but he decided to come uh, we slept on an air mattress for the first i want to say 6 6 to 8 months had no car we would catch the bus my mother would drop me off at school uh my my parents finally saved up got a vehicle and uh, moved me uh, to Box Springs, Texas. Uh, my parents ended up getting married. Maybe seven, eight months into the marriage, my parents got divorced. Uh, wow. I ended up seeing domestic violence in our household, and it changed my life. Um, a few months later after that, my mother was murdered outside of my house when I was 10 years old. So being woken up by police officers knocking on your door when your mother told you or your parents told you at a young age, I don't care who comes to the door. Don't open that door. But when you see and you feel the energy of 10 to 15 cops at your front door, something has to be wrong. So I opened that door that morning and that changed my life. That's absolutely crazy, man. I mean, being awakened at 10 years old, saying or learning that your your mother has been you know murdered um and then having the the mental capacity to to deal with that uh, and then knowing that you know there's another day that's that's coming right after that i mean and then what happened shortly after after your mother passed away um i ended up moving with my uh, my aunt for a little while stayed in the same school until my father moved back to mesquite from dallas um lived with her for about five months and then moved with my father and moved on the side where Mo is from. So I moved on their side of town 
And uh, the rest is kind of history, man. I grew up with my father um, and his girlfriend. Um, my dad was an amazing man. Uh, coached me throughout Pop Warner. Coached me um, throughout really pretty much my whole life. My father was only supposed to live to be 15 years old because he had the worst case of sickle cell. Oh, wow. Um, so every day he would preach to me, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. So make sure you take advantage of every opportunity that you do have. So how I approach life was I got to make the most of every opportunity that I do get so that my name would always be remembered. So from there, living with my father, went to school, always excelled in sports, played all sports growing up, um, ended up going to North Mesquite High School, uh, ended up being a parade All-American, a U.S. Army All-American, and ended up being one of the top uh, players in the country. Decided to go to University of Texas over Florida State and Ohio State, uh, one of the greatest decisions I've ever made. And uh, my father was there to help me make that decision. Um, growing up, my favorite school was Florida State. And I was really planning on going to Florida State. But I knew that my father didn't have an opportunity to go to college growing up and how important it was for him to see me play. So I decided to go to UT over Florida State because of that. Now, what was it about UT that, that tugged at your heart more than Florida State? Because, I mean, like you just said, you love Florida State, right? right? So what was it about UT? I think the family atmosphere. You know, anytime you get opportunity to be around guys that uh, keep everything as a tight-knit group, uh, Coach Brown did an amazing job, uh, and the other coaches recruiting and stuff like that. But, man, it's just a family atmosphere. I love I loved my teammates. I love the campus. I loved everything about Austin. And, uh, man, I made a lot of great memories there. I would be remiss without – mentioned the recent passing of your teammate Cedric Benson. Just a, a quick word on, on the type of guy that he was. I mean, obviously, we all woke up that morning and saw saw what had happened. Right. What was your, your initial reaction when you first saw that? I'm sure once you got phone calls and text messages and people said, yeah, this is what happened. What, what did you think? It can't be the same, said B. So he says what I thought. Um, I trained with him in the offseason. Uh, Bruce Johnson was our trainer in the offseason in Austin. Anytime we went back to to UT, uh, us NFL guys that played together in college. So just getting the opportunity to be around him, getting the opportunity to watch him work, uh, and also being my teammate. Um, I have the utmost respect for him and uh, definitely rest in peace and sending blessings and prayers out to the Benson family as well, too, because we definitely not only lost a great man, but we lost a, a Texas legend. Yeah, I actually had the opportunity to play against Sed in, in high school. Um, so I, I didn't know him as, as well as obviously you did having played played with him. But I do know that he he respected the game. He played the game with passion. Um, he played the game hard and played it the right way. Right. Um, so, again, shout out to his family and our condolences are obviously extended. Um, you know, you guys are in our prayers. So we're going to turn the page a little bit, right? So you, retire, you, you, you filed your retirement paperwork and – this is the Vision Lab. We kind of asked everybody this at some point during the interview. Right. But when you kind of knew your the, the clock was ticking on your NFL career, did you already have a vision for yourself post-NFL? Or is it something you just kind of had to do on the fly because time ran out quicker than you thought? I had a vision, but you have to do it on the fly as well because you never – as an athlete, you never really know when that time is up. The team tells you when it's up. Not many athletes get the opportunity to retire on their own. 
those that's one percent. That's your Tom Brady's, that's your Deion Sanders, that's your Troy Aikman's, that's your that's your one percent. The rest of the guys, they usually tell you, hey, look, we don't want you no more because of your play or because you're getting older or because of money or injuries and you cost too much. So at the end of the day, it's, it's a business and you have to approach the game as a business. And a lot of times us athletes, we take it personal because we think it's, it's a sentimental value because I've, I've, I've worked and I've played here over a certain period of time. But we have to understand that if it don't make dollars, it don't make sense. And there, the NFL is not for long. That's what we say it stands for, not for long. So we know that they're bringing in young guys to replace us every year. Every year. So your job is always on the line. So those pressures and that stress of not having a job that next year is real. When it comes to, like you said, having to do it on the fly, right? What's the first, when you when you file those retirement papers, you you knew in your gut, you knew in your gut you were done. What's the first thing you did business wise as far as setting up the next phase of your life? I told my financial advisor to put some money aside for us to invest in the real estate. I had already been dabbling in the real estate while I was playing in the game. I put myself around some good people that uh, were making really good decisions in the business world. And that's what it's about, you know. Uh, birds of a feather flock together and putting yourself around people that are doing better than you allows you to learn something and allows you to step your game up and say, maybe I don't have all the answers. You know, we've been doing this for for a little bit or here in season two, and, and we keep hearing that same thought process of surround yourself with with uh, people that are better than you. So I want to tap. I want to go more into that here um, when we come back from this this break. Um, here we here we are here on the uh, Vision Lab podcast. We got Terrell Brown, and uh, we'll be right back after this. Yo, yo, this is Terrell Brown, and you're listening to the Vision Lab podcast with Cuff and Mo. Welcome back to the Vision Lab podcast. We've got none other than Terrell Brown. So we left that last segment. Um, really, it's something that we've heard before, you know, the idea or the ideology of being around people that are smarter than you. And, and when you decided to hang up the cleats, you decided to jump into real estate. So talk to us about that thought process. Like, why why real estate? Why not coaching? Why not, you know, fashion, rapping, you know? <laughs> Uh, the reason I jumped into real estate was after doing the research, I think over like 90% and, uh, <clears throat> I don't have the, the stats in front of me, but over 90% of millionaires created their wealth in yeah. real estate. Yeah. And one thing we know for sure, regards to how the economy goes, somebody, we need somewhere to live. Always need somewhere to lay Always. your head. So people might not pay their car note, but they're going to make sure they keep a roof over their head. So for me personally... Uh, I wanted to jump into something that can make my name last long, but at the same time, that could give me some type of longevity for my family over a period of time. So more I wanted to go for residual than the quick riches. Now, did you understand? Obviously, you understood real estate as a holistic game, but the ins and outs, the nuances of it, like, who was there to kind of teach you? Nobody. 
I had to go in and head first. So I took classes. I went to I went to school. I went to uh, real estate classes. I, I went to different seminars, and then I ended up getting a mentor. And he was already in the business, and he had already been successful. So as he took me under his wing, I was just a sponge trying to soak up as much knowledge as I could because I knew I was playing catch up. Right. My whole life, I had been dedicated to playing football. So I gave 110% at that. So my extra time was put into being the best athlete I could be or maintenance in my body and those types. Of so me jumping into real estate, now I'm thinking catch up, catch up, catch up. So I stayed up later than guys. I put in the extra hours so that I would understand in these meetings what this language or terminology may or may not be. Yo, I feel that so so tough right now. For real. And we're going to talk offline about some uh, investing and things like that, too. Sounds good. What was the first big lesson you learned in real estate? Realizing you were playing catch-up from the go, what was the first big lesson you learned? Everybody not who they say they are. Hmm. Expound. In football or in sports, you get what you put in. So if you put in the work, the results will be shown. And take care of themselves. There you go. But what I've noticed in the real estate game is that it's a lot of people that uh, cut corners. And if you can't weed through those people, then it would deter you from being in the real estate or any profession. So just kind of understanding that, hey, look, everybody's not who they say they are, you know, and understanding that just because it looks good on paper or just because it feels right may not always be right. It may not always go your way, but you're going to learn from every lesson in life. And it's not a loss. It's a lesson. A hundred percent. So and, I, and I, we've we've talked about that a, a number of times here on the podcast. Um, what type of real estate investing do you do? Um, I'm into multifamily uh, and also uh, single family uh, investing. So we develop properties in the Dallas Fort Worth area. I have an amazing team behind me. Um, and we I've never touched commercial. I would love to get into commercial. But right now I'm just multifamily and single family. Now, are you are you buying and holding? Are you buying and flipping? We do a, we do both. We okay. do a little bit of both. It just depends on uh, the market. Uh, our portfolio allows us to kind of hold things as well, too, just for the residual income. And uh, that's what I'm teaching my wife as well. What do you enjoy the most about the real estate game? Because you got your hands on the pots and we're going to talk about it. But what do you enjoy the most about the real estate business? Taking something from ground zero and at A and taking it to Z. I enjoy helping people. I enjoy putting together a plan and executing that plan and making it reality. Right. You know, because if we all really think about it, everything starts in the mind. It, cre- it starts with a thought. And that thought goes from a thought to action. So mm-hmm. if I can visualize it and I can see it in my mind, I know I can make it happen in the real world. So now you're speaking my language. Before we go down that that road, are you doing any type of burr? Are you utilizing the burr method by chance? No. Are you familiar with that? No. All right. So it's basically where you buy, rehab, rent, uh, refinance, and then you repeat that process. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't flip homes. So you're always holding. Yeah. Well, always, with this method, you can actually hold it too. You're just refinancing the equity that's in the property. Right, right, right. Yeah, I like uh, me personally. 
I don't really get into the flips anymore just because it's over. The game has been oversaturated. Everybody just wants to be a everybody flipper. Now. To be a flipper now. Right, you can do DIY. So, there you go. So now my thing is I do new development. And then if I can get some rentals or I see some nice deals that I can purchase rentals and hold them and stuff like that, then I would take advantage of that. But the new development allows you not to have to mess with other people's half doing the job. So, for example, you can eyeball a property, $10,000 rehab. Well, once you get to the bones and the structure of the property, your GC comes back to you and say, well, foundation is bad. Right. The roof is bad. Right. This is bad. The HVAC is bad. The wiring and it's not up to code. So you you open them doors. You don't know. So now you're dealing with other people's mistakes or other people's mishaps. Than if you just build straight from the ground up with less headaches. So but isn't it more expensive to for new construction? Yeah, it is. But you can take on construction loans, and they have different programs out there that can help you with business credit and stuff like that. So, so. And this is cool. Okay, so this is something that I want to know. So, so you played nine years in the NFL. Yes, sir. You had a little bit. You know, so you had some cheese. It is what it is, right? And you can invest in those type of. Um, you know, real estate investments. Right. The average person doesn't isn't coming from your walk of life, right? right? So, you know, I'm a I make fifty to hundred thousand dollars, but I want to jump into real estate. Do you recommend getting a construction loan to fund your investment uh, portfolio? Because I mean, I've listened to a bunch of different podcasts. I've heard a bunch of different things and philosophies or philosophical views. A lot of people talk about not taking on any loans right Mm -hmm. so what what's kind of your your thought process on that backdrop if this is your if you're new to the game and you might not have the capital up front Mm -hmm. if i was you i would go into it as a joint venture i would purchase maybe purchase the dirt and then reach out to a construction company who develops properties and tell them your vision and what you're trying to do and tell them you would like to do a joint venture deal with them and have them take on the debt of the construction loan, knowing that they are a construction company. Now you put up the dirt as your um, <clears throat> your collateral or as your skin in the game, and they take on the construction debt, which allows you not to have to put any more money up. Now y'all can do a 60, 40, 70, 30 deal, pay off the note after selling each unit, then now you split the profit. So that allows you not to have to put up so much money. And then you still have your skin in the game, which is the dirt. Because you can't build something without the dirt. Yeah, you so you dirt. need the dirt right. as your value. And then you have the construction company who you want to team up with, take on that debt. Or you raise the money. You know, you come in and you might raise the money from a couple other friends. Hey, look, let me get, this is the deal, 50000 from you, 50000 from you, 50000 from you. You can get a 10% return in the next 18 months or whatever. You know what I'm saying? And if that is the case, now everybody is made whole and everybody's making money. So when everybody's making money, they're going to want to do it again and do it again and do it again. And to get a 10% return in 18 months is amazing. Yeah. Anytime. Those, <laughs> there you go. Because the bank's not going to give you that nope. if you just sit your money in the and bank. And neither is the stock market. Well, yeah. on average, it'll you know, be about 10 to 12%. But depending on how much money you have in the started. stock market to get started and you know what you've invested in, stocks or bonds. Let me switch gears real quick, Cuff. Um, I was loving the gear that we were in. By I know, because real estate is your thing. <laughs> we, we, we've, talked, we've had a lot of conversations about real estate offline. But 
everybody we've talked to, especially who's come from the, the the world of athletics, right? Everyone's got like some type of charity foundation. Right. Sometimes we talk to people and it's really just a tax write-off, but you're actually doing something with yours. Can you talk to us and the people out there listening about Brown's kids? Why you why you not necessarily why you decided to do it, but what was your thought process behind it? Uh helping underprivileged kids. I know what it's like to come from a single parent home. You know, I know what it's like to not have. I know what it's like to uh, be less fortunate. So I know what it's like to be on reduced lunch. My lunch was 42 cents in elementary school. So for me personally, I understand those ups and downs. And it's my job to come back to my community and to show the younger generation that, hey, man, this is possible. All you got to do is put a little more work into it and you got to sacrifice something. And I was talking to one of my old heads a few weeks ago, and he was telling me that a lot of people don't have success because they're not willing to sacrifice something. You got to be willing to give up something. So for me personally, I was willing to give up my ego to come back to my city and say, you know what? It's not about me. It's about us. How can we bring more light to get more athletes up out of here or to get more students up out of here, to get more architects, to have more doctors, lawyers, police officers or Whatever it may be, say musicians, give them an opportunity that they may not get in this city now. And that's what we do. We've uh, had a football, free football and cheerleading camp for kids for over 11 years. We've had over 500 kids each year. Uh, I've brought out financial advisors to speak to the parents and the kids from Merrill Lynch and uh, First Republic Bank. I brought out nutritionists and um, uh, trainers to talk to parents and kids about diet and eating and how important it is to put things that are electric in your body and not things that will weigh your body down. Uh, I've also brought out uh, um, Forex guys who talk to kids about Forex trading and how important it is to learn about finances. So we just try to touch every avenue the best way we can with using sports as our vehicle. vehicle. That's, that's outstanding. That's beautiful. And I, I applaud you, sir, for uh, for those efforts. I want to I want to understand why wouldn't why don't more athletes do that? Why don't they take the best in interest in their community and their youth? And I, and I know a lot of them do. Right. And, and some of them do it for the tax write-off, et cetera. But I can see and hear the passion in your voice. And this isn't about notoriety or this isn't about a tax write-off, but you truly do care about the youth and the future of, of you know, America and, and giving back to your community. So wh- why do you think most, or let me rephrase that, why do you think a lot of uh, former athletes don't take your same approach? I think it's a uh, time crunch. It's, it's, it's definitely not easy uh, with the type of schedules that athletes have, having to be so dedicated to the game. But I think when you do have, you make time for the things that are you, important that you. are important to you, yeah. or things that you love, or things that you are passionate about. I'm passionate about helping people. I've been doing charity work since I was in middle school, and uh, I'm passionate about seeing or putting a smile on someone else's face because that makes me whole as a person. Because I know that. I'm pushing forth the next generation to be better. And where did that servant's heart kind of, when was that birth? Like, how did that come about? You've been doing it since middle school. Right, right, right. Uh, it, come, it come from, my, I think it came really from my, my parents and really just the city, you know. Uh, losing my mother, it, it showed me that nothing's promised, yeah. but at the same time, nothing's guaranteed. So with, with having kind of that platform and kind of seeing how, 
we were living at the time, I knew that, man, I have a gift. And my gift is not only to be able to communicate, but to be able to help people because I am strong enough to overcome things. So I, I believe like my strength has helped me in this way of giving back to my community from backpack drives to giving back to churches, to Mesquite Friendship Baptist, to us helping the relief for the hurricane relief Harvey in Houston. Right. You know, we put together things that resonate to us to help our people. Period. I, I just absolutely love that servant's heart and that mentality, man. Brother, keep keep that up. Keep doing that, man. Thank you. It. Thank you for doing that for the community. Hey, listen, guys, uh, we'll be right back more with Terrell Brown here on the Vision Lab podcast. This is Terrell Brown, CEO of Stut LLC. If you guys need any real estate advice, investing, purchasing, or selling homes, please reach us at tbstut25.com, or you can catch us at Instagram at stutworld. You guys are listening to The Vision Lab Podcast. Welcome back to the Vision Lab podcast. Uh, we're here with Terrell Brown, uh, CEO, founder, all of the above of Stut, stronger than you think. Uh, this is the Vision Lab, T. Brown, and and one of the questions I like to ask everybody: when you hear the word vision, whether it's athletics, whether it's business, whatever it is that you're trying to, or not necessarily you, but anybody who's trying to be successful in whatever venture they're pursuing in life, you hear the word vision. What do you think about? What comes to mind? My goals. Uh, when I think of vision, I think about something that I have to achieve within a certain time frame. Um, we all have uh, gifts that God gives us or the universe gives us. And it's our job to find out what that gift is and to tap into it. And once you tap into it, uh, you become more and more passionate about it. And now that's your vision. You see it. You actually get an opportunity to feel it. And from there, now you have to manifest. And then from manifesting, and now it becomes reality. When it comes to making things, and actually, like you said, a reality, from your perspective, now you have real estate, you know, you got your clothing line, which you might be able to talk about as well, charity foundation. Do you find, in, in regards to, you know, the name names, but the people that you work with or you deal with, people that you just come across throughout, you know, daily business meetings because you operate in that space, do you find that sometimes, People either have a lack of vision or is it more people don't want to get their hands dirty and really just do the work? I think it's a lack of vision. You know, you have to have a purpose for why you're going into whatever it is you're putting your passion into. And a lot of times people do it just for finances. They don't do it because they love it. And I've noticed in this new generation now we like everything, but we love nothing. Mm. You know, and I always relate things back to the things that you love. If you love your father or your mother or your wife, you wouldn't let anything happen to them. The same thing with your goals and your vision and your dreams. If you love it that much, you wouldn't let someone come deter you or get you off of your path or get you off of your focus. So I would say, man, the lack of focus and the lack of detail is what is hurting a lot of us 
in this new age or new society. I think when we change our focus and focus more on the things that we love instead of the things we like, we will get rid of the distractions and we will have a better uh, overall success rate or what we may think success is to us. What is success to you? Success to me is family. Success to me is being able to help people. Um, Success to me is being able to pass on the legacy that your parents gave you and then you give your kids that plus more and then your kids give that plus more to their kids. So that's success to me. You just said the whole love and light thing, right? And so I think it's a balance because we are on the age of the internet and social media and we're in the, we're in this, this bubble that is a microwave society, right? Like I think eventually the pendulum will swing back to where, you know, things got to be built long-term for them to have, you know, somewhat of uh, sustained relevance, if you will. How do you balance that, right? Like you got a platform, you have a name, but at the same time, you understand what a grind is. So how do you balance using those tools that you've gathered throughout your life so far and, you know, leveraging them against this microwave society, but at the same time, staying true to who you are? I think that's just the foundation uh, that I was raised on. You know, I think most of us, uh, I can't speak for most of us. I can only speak for myself. So my foundation was raised off of a blue collar, hardworking guy. My father drove buses for the city of Dart. Uh, my mother was uh, in the FDIC banking. So I learned that those qualities of hard work, I learned that at a very, very young age. You know, I, I cut grass growing up to get uniforms, to get Jordans. I washed cars. We did fundraisers. We um, we did any type of stuff to get a dollar so that we would earn it and not beg for it. We did it. So for me personally, it was just kind of ingrained into me after seeing my parents do it. I just took it on naturally, more or less. You've mentioned your parents and, and you've mentioned a couple other folks. Who's been the most influential person in your life? Good question. Uh, The most influential person in my life probably would be my mother. Uh, Losing her at the age of 10, uh, she taught me more (laughs) about life in 10 years than I've ever learned probably from anybody else my whole 34 years of life. Let me me ask you this, too. You mentioned your mom. She passed away when you were 10. Right. Has she taught you more living or more deceased? I think more deceased. Yeah, yeah I kind of get that from you. Yeah, I really do. I've, she's taught me more deceased about um, fighting for the things that you love, uh, never quitting, adversity, and understanding that everything is purposeful. And when you relate things back to purposeful, um, you'll overcome more obstacles than what you'll give yourself credit for. And that's why I started uh, STUT. And the acronym is Stronger Than You Think is to let people know, like, sometimes being strong, you don't know how strong you are until having to be strong is the only source. The only way you got. It's all you got. That's all you got is to figure it out. You know, yeah, you might be down for a point in time, but you have the opportunity to figure it out. And once you figure it out and you put that energy into a positive form, Man, it manifested something amazing. And to see that kind of happen in my life, man, she's come through me, come through for me so many times. Man, I'm, I'm forever grateful. 
So you mentioned the word manifest a couple of times within this specific segment. Right. And then you talk about mindset. Where did all this come from? Like, when did you, because this is the, the hot thing right now, right? right? Everyone's talking about your, your, your mental psyche and keeping it positive and, um, you know, what you, what you put out there can manifest and it's all sounds so cool. Right. And hell, we even have a vision lab podcast, right? right. But when it's no one around and whether you're on the field at 16, 17, 18 years old, or you're with the New England Patriots or you're in the o- with the Oakland Raiders, like, are you really thinking in terms of, man, if I just believe this can manifest, were you really thinking that? You have to believe. I mean, that's, that's all you have. That's all you have is belief, you know? And at the end of the day to, play on a high level. And when I say play on a high level, I mean, I'm talking about sports aspect of it. Um, You're playing with the top of the top. So if your mental isn't right weekend or day in and day out, they'll weed through you really quickly and they'll find that little hole that will deflate your tire. So for me personally, I play corner and you have to have a short memory. You have to be able to understand the game and you have to be a student of the game because you're going to give up catches, but it's not about the catches that you give up. It's about, okay, how do you learn from giving up that catch and how do you make that next play? So for me, I learned that at a very young age that my mind controls everything from when my mother passed, from when my father passed, from when I almost lost my eyes, an eight-year-old. I learned that my mind can control everything else and my body will follow. I love that. Tell you it was good, Cuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mind control. Like me and Cuff talk about this stuff all the time. Manifestation, belief, the, the, just the. It's your mental. I mean, that's what that's what the Vision Lab podcast is all about. It's called uh, uh, good vibes or, or, or positive vibes. All, all all that stuff that falls underneath that umbrella. Right. I'm, I'm a guy to where, like, you know, I've, I've read some books. I'm currently reading some books in regards to all this. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much as well, Amy Flores. I'm a guy, I mean, you know me, whatnot. I believe in getting in the trench and getting my hands dirty, right? Yes, sir. As far as... Been that way since I met you. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to stay that way. Especially, you know, I got a 10-month-old at home now. I don't, I, don't know any, I don't know any other way, right? Right. I say all that to say... When you meet people business-wise, and yeah. we've talked about real estate, you got your clothing line, your charity foundation, everything else that we've talked about offline. Right. Is it easy for you to spot somebody who's not willing to get their hands dirty and actually put work in? It's not. It's not as easy as you as we would make it seem. We would think it would be easy just because you, you would want to feel people's energy. But people have a way to manipulate situations or people have a way to hide their true intentions. But I think eventually over time, it's just like sports, you know? You see the guys that are working hard and they eventually stand out a little more than the guys that are kind of taking it easy or or the scapegoat or the guys that's just barely getting by or the guys that don't want to put in the work. Because eventually at one point in time, you'll be exposed. And I learned this at a very young age. I had a coach that told me, he said, either you're getting better or you're getting out the league. And I remember him saying that he said, either you're getting better or you're getting out the league. And the reason why he said this. It didn't resonate to me at that time as a 22-year-old fifth-round draft pick or 21, fifth-round draft pick. But three years later, it resonated to me that 
all he was saying was never be outworked. Always show that you're getting better each day and you're willing to work at your craft that much more than the next man because that will keep you a job and you'll have longevity over something quick. You know, we all want to jump in a, a marathon, but a lot of people say, man, I'd rather be in a quick sprint. No one wants to run the race. But the race is really won long distance wise because the longevity of it all is the wealth and the sprint is the race. You get what no, I'm saying? Nobody wants to play the long game. You're right. You and know, I, and Cuff and I have talked about this. Like this, this is this entire venture, if you will, that being the Vision Land podcast. Like this is for anybody who, who hasn't, you know, heard us or that you've heard us for the first time, go back and listen to the Genesis episode. Once you listen, once you're done listening to this episode, uh, we believe in the long game or we talk all the time. It's, we, we, we're building this with bricks, not sand or anything else. Right. Um, and I like the fact that you mentioned like never be willing to be outworked. Right. Because you need the foundation. How are you going to build a house without building a strong foundation? The house will fall. Soon as the weather comes and you get some type of. Something inclement. Come on now. You know, and the house is going to break down. But if you build it from the ground up and you build a strong foundation, nothing can break that foundation. You know, not to disrupt what we have going on, because we've got some good energy. I'm sitting here thinking, and you know, the word that comes to mind when I think of Terrell Brown and not just the it's not the only word, but one word that comes to mind is application. You've taken every tragedy, every downturn, every bad thing that could happen to any individual and you've learned how to apply it to your life. And you learned how to not only apply it, but then maximize that unit of, uh, you know, whatever that was for you. No excuses. No excuses. You can't live by excuses. But see, the, even that right there, like that mentality, like I'm sure you've heard that from a coach. You're running suicides or it's in the practice. We got to get ready for the season. And you're in eighth grade. No excuses, fellas, on the line. You've heard that over and over. But but the difference is you actually believed and you applied it to your life. So it, it, it goes beyond the football field. When we walk off of the practice field, when we hang up our cleats, now it's I got to get up in the morning and go fend for my family. Ain't no excuses. Lifestyle, you know, it's not just words. For me, it's not a it's not just words, it's a lifestyle. This is what I live. I live by that. I don't just say the word because it sounds cool. And a lot of people do things just because it's a cool thing to do. Yeah. Trends, you know, uh, they play sports in high school just because it's the cool thing to do. I was popular. I'm gonna be popular. I did it because I enjoyed it. I loved it. This was my passion. I lived it. And I have a feeling if you didn't love it, I wouldn't do you it. wouldn't have done it, but you would have worked. But he would have been successful at whatever venture that he would have chosen, right? It could have been painting. It could have been architecture. It could have been a massage therapist. Like I feel like you would have taken every lesson that you've learned, every gritty experience that you've gone through, and you would have applied it to whatever. Like, I'm getting that, you know what I'm saying, like that energy from you. I mean, that that, I appreciate that, you know. That's why I feel like God put me on this earth. You know, to be able to overcome and be able to share my story so that other people can relate and say, man, if he can do it, I can do it, too. And if I can touch one person out of a million people, I did my job and I was able to help one young man or one young lady not give up on, you know, 
a mistake they may have made or a, a, a trial and error that they might go through in life. My job is to make sure that I tell this story to never give up, to never quit, to never look down on yourself, to always give yourself the benefit of the doubt because the power of thought can bring you through mm. anything. And there you hear it right now, folks, from Terrell Brown. That's exactly what the Vision Lab podcast is all about. And we'll be back. We'll close out the uh, the episode more with Terrell Brown after this. Yo, yo, this is Terrell Brown, and you're listening to the Vision Lab podcast with Cuff and Mo. Welcome back to the Vision Lab podcast. We're here with Terrell Brown, uh, CEO, founder, owner, all of the above of Stut LLC. Stronger than you think is the uh, is, is STUT acronym. Stronger than you think. And we're going to have a little fun open this thing up. Right, T. Brown? Yes, sir. Let's so, roll. Nine years in the league. And uh, I was asking you this. Who's the most difficult guy you ever had to cover? Calvin Johnson. Is just because he's gigantic or is it because he's got traits that people that big aren't supposed to have? He's got traits people that big aren't supposed to have. And he runs. He's a technician on his route run. So I used to scout for the, for the Lions uh, as an intern. The dude is a technician. And at 6'4", 6'5", 240, it ain't supposed to be that way. Very much so. Um, you have to definitely game plan him. Um, you definitely got to make sure you're on your A game, and they're throwing the ball to him, so you definitely got to be on your P's and Q's the whole game. My next question. What did you think when the lights turned out in the Super Bowl and don't? <laughs> what did you think? It's a setup. <laughs> <laughs> it's a setup. Um and it was crazy. Uh, it was one of the most strange. memorable experiences I've ever had. Definitely strange on how the lights went out and how kind of everything transpired. But uh, definitely a memorable moment uh, in my career. When that happened, what they tell y'all on the field? Stay warm and stay ready. Uh, we don't actually know what's going on, but stay warm and stay ready. And uh, when the lights come back on, we need to be rolling. So, first of all, you're not blessed you are to be to have played in the biggest game of all sports. Uh, I'm blessed besides playing in the biggest game of all sports, well, but no, no, I get no it. Doubt, yeah, no, no doubt. doubt. For sure, for sure. It was, uh, like you said, man, I mean, anytime you and a group of men collectively uh, put in the work day in and day out and you can see the effort of all the 53 men and the coaches collectively together, uh, we had an amazing team. We worked really, really hard together. We put in the time, the effort, and uh, it paid off. I mean, we didn't get the W in the Super Bowl, but you could see that uh, our team definitely fought hard and uh, we fell short, but it was something uh, definitely to remember. That was, that was, and no disrespect, but that was your only appearance, right? Yeah, I lost another one with uh, the Patriots in 2015, but I was on IR after breaking my foot uh, week five. So when you're in the locker room getting ready for the biggest game of, in all of sports, what is that like? Is this another game or is this, oh, shit, we're in the Super Bowl? What? Is, what what's, how are you thinking? What are you thinking? What is your mind going through? It's, just, it's another game. Um only thing different about it is the approach to the game. You know, you get there a week early, 
to wherever city you're playing in for the Super Bowl and you have to go through a lot of different um, events prior prior to the Super Bowl. So that's the only thing that's a lot different than the actual game. Does it take stuff away from you? Does it drain you a bit? It's definitely draining because you get tired of speaking and talking about the game. You just get ready. You want to play and show your stuff. But uh, it's part of the process. And it's something that if you're a smart uh, athlete or or, or player, you would take advantage of that opportunity. So let's say there's a running back coming around the corner, 240, coming around the corner. It's you and him. Right. What are you doing? I'm going to tear his ACL. And not try to hurt him, but I'm going to chop him. No, that would hurt them. Yeah. That would hurt them pretty pretty significantly, by the way. Right, right, right. But (laughs) as a corner, you know, my job is to – get guys down and him being you know 240 and me playing at 196 is a big weight difference and he's able to go downhill and more than likely I'm coming off of a block so I would have to go low and uh try to you know chop him to get him get him on the ground with you with you saying that were those <laughs> games against the Seahawks as physical in person as they looked on TV hell yeah it Hell looked like yeah. no holes barred out there. It like take a week. Of the fittest. Yeah, it takes a week to recover from those type of games. They had great personnel, just like you guys did, obviously. But can you talk about like the the energy and the tension that is like in the atmosphere and on the field? How much shit talking was going on? Oh, it's a lot. I mean, anytime you get a chance to play uh, in Seattle, man, that's one of the loudest stadiums in the league. Uh, so that atmosphere is amazing. So as an athlete, it's something that you look forward to all week. And you use that energy to the best of your ability to help you perform at a higher level, too. So, yeah, man, it was crazy. What's the biggest game you've ever played in? I would say uh, the Super Bowl or the national championship at the University of Texas. They Super say, Bowl. yeah, they, they say that might be the best college football game ever. It was. It was incredible. It, it definitely was incredible. When Dwayne Jerry caught that ball, you know, your arm broke. Uh, I thought I dislocated my shoulder. Cause my whole right side uh, went numb, but uh, once I opened my eyes and I saw the bone poking out my, <laughs> I saw the bone poking out my forearm, I knew I was done. Rap. Yeah. Really. Yeah. What was that experience like when you're looking down and you can see the bone out of your your arm? I don't want to go back to that. <laughs> That's some pain that uh, I don't recommend anybody. Uh, but but you're in shock initially, though, right? Yeah, like your you, body naturally. Your body's in natural shock, so I couldn't feel my whole right side. Yeah. They put a plate and screws in there, anything like that? I still have a, a one plate and seven screws. So so you didn't get to, you didn't get to celebrate. You straight to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I saw, I celebrated with the guys a little bit on the field, and then I went to the hospital right after. How'd you feel knowing that you played, but you didn't get to finish battle with your guys? Uh, to be honest with you, at that time, man, I just think I was, I was, I was still on an adrenaline high. You know what I mean? I was still hyped about the game and us winning, us being in California, my father being there. But then at the same time, like you said, you know, not being able to finish the game, I was having a great game and broke my arm. And I just felt like I had so much more in me to left, you know, by the end of that game. So I want to transition away from from football because you're more than just 
uh, a former NFL athlete, former more than just a, uh, a, a football player. You got a few beautiful daughters, right? Yes, they're four. Four, four. Excuse me. I'm yes, sorry. Sir, four beautiful First of daughters. all. God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I need it. <laughs> and I know why you're hustling right now. I, you know, I think we all share that in common and that we all have daughters. Like I got, I have two daughters. Mo's got a daughter. Uh, and you've got a, a new, um, a 10 month old, a five, five month old. old, five month old. Yes, sir. So um, what is that like coming home to five women and you being the only dude? Uh, it's, it's, it's a blessing, man. It's, it really is. Uh, the house is never quiet. It's never a dull moment. Right. Uh, but I know what I'm working for. To, so to see that every day and knowing what I get up and work so hard for uh, is, 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 is definitely uh, appreciative. You sure. know what I mean? And to see the smile on my daughter's faces when I come in the house or pick them up from school or anything like that, man, it, uh, it melts my heart. So. Uh, I'm blessed to have them in my life and they saved my life. So here's one thing that we all can talk about having all daughters. Uh Oh, what do you want? What type of man do you want for your daughter? If you can even envision that. To be honest with you, my first man, of all, Mo's face right now is, I was, I was just about to say, yeah, to be honest with you, I can't even envision that right now, but only thing I could really say is I would say somebody that that has principles, morals, and that has a, a amazing foundation, you know, because there are going to be tough times in life and there's going to be obstacles and hurdles and speed bumps that you're going to have to get over. But at the same time, uh, if you have a, an amazing foundation that your parents gave you or your upbringing, you know, you always have something to fall back on and to give you that little guidance if you happen to slip. So I would want my daughters to make sure they they marry or, or that they date a man that has integrity, a man that's respectful, and a man that knows how to treat a, a young lady or woman. I'm not there yet. I was about to say, I'm, I'm, not, I'm looking yet. at you right now like, look, this, dude, this dude's face is stoned right now. <laughs> Too early in the stage. The series ten months old, and I literally tell my daughter once a day, "I'm your boyfriend." Right, and that's just what it is right now. But you know what, though, you can you can say all that if you want to. But you and I both know you're saying that because you're thinking that. On some level, you're like, I know eventually she's gonna have a boyfriend. Well, yeah, I've come to that realization. But for right now, I take care of you. Like you don't need another man outside of me. Like that's just what it is. Now you know you bring somebody to my door. He needs to be better than me. Otherwise, get off my doorstep, man. I'm sorry. That's, that's And maybe because I'm a first-time dad, and like I said, she's 10 months, about to be walking any day right now. That's just where I'm at right now. Right. I mean, you you two have multiple daughters, so you got a little bit more experience. I'm not there yet. I'm just going to be honest about it. You shouldn't be. I mean, yeah. she's not even a year old, but I just think it was kind of cool to, to, to bring it up. How old is your oldest? 12. She'll be 13 in October. So I've got a I've got a nine-year-old who will be 10 in November. Okay. And I took her out uh, actually last Friday. We did the whole daddy daughter date type thing. You know, we did the uh, the Manny the Petties and then flipped it over to, you know, went bowling. And it was funny. And, and I would recommend you do this. And I'm sure you already do this with your with your oldest or in probably the, you know, the top two ones at least. But uh, when I when we go out, I remind her like, hey, don't open that door and you tell me why. 
because the man's supposed to open the door, right? And you, I think it's always those important. Are good qualities. Yeah, you got to have yeah. those type of things and, and teach her that she is. A, and I tell her, look, you're a princess, but you're you're a princess living as a queen. You know what I mean? Like always know your 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 value, your worth, that you are a queen, and you're not gonna be. Uh, don't settle. Don't for less. settle for the exactly. Don't yeah. settle for less. So you know, don't never settle for less. They always say it's more fish in the sea. Okay, so what is a cup? Go ahead. Well, no, I just, you know, you, you're doing a lot. Also, I wanted to touch on uh, your community activism, give you another opportunity to um, talk about that platform, right. some of the initiatives maybe that you have going on or, or outreach programs that you're looking to execute over the next, you know, year or so. Uh, our biggest thing now moving forward is just to try to empower our youth. Uh, give them more and more opportunities to succeed, not only uh, on the field, but off the field. And when I say off the field, I'm I'm, I'm talking about in life. You know, it's so many times that we uh, take our student athletes and we just build their bodies, but we don't build their minds. Mm. So I would like to create and continue to create a platform where kids can continue to build their minds just as well as their bodies because they work hand in hand together. And without the mind, Nobody can follow. No, your body can't follow. Excuse right. me. So, uh, and we're going to continue just to keep helping these kids, uh, keep giving back to the community the best way we can, uh, keep talking to these kids and making sure that they know that we care about them. They know that they're loved and they know that they're supported. And I think with that, our future will be in great hands. Man, I, I just love your mentality. And honestly, I know we're, we're going to try to cap this around uh, a 60 minute podcast. But I could hang out with you all day, bro. I can hang out and, and, and chop it up. And we're here at Blowing Smoke Cigar Lounge out here in Duncanville, Texas. Shout out to Edwina. Shout out to EB. Shout uh, out to E. What's up, baby girl? Another, Thank another you Longhorn. Again. Thank you again for having us. Another Longhorn alum. Uh, it's got an amazing cigar shop over here. You guys should come check it out if you're ever on the south side of Dallas. I tell you what, I, I really, at this point, Mo, we have got to be an honorary Longhorn. I mean, Something like it. <laughs> you broke my heart. You said the Florida State thing. That's the program of my childhood. Right. You come to my man cave, it's Florida State stuff and Mary Harden Raider stuff. That's a whole conversation. Is. But this is the vision lab, right? And so we ask everybody this question as we get ready to land the plane. What is the vision for you for the next five to 10 years? My vision for five to 10 years is to change the world. And when I say that, that means uh, one kid at a time. And my job is to let these kids know that it's possible. Let these kids know that uh, mistakes do happen in life, but they're lessons, not losses. And if we continue to do that, not only with myself, but other uh, leaders in the community, I think we're putting forth our next foot for that next generation to be successful. And if we're doing that, we're headed in the right directions and our daughters will be uh advocates of that as well too and they'll benefit from that so man just continue to keep putting out positive good energy continue to help these kids in the best way possible continue to keep giving out the best game possible man and keep working hard my man so so we're getting ready to land this plane and i, I just want to say um certainly appreciate the time that you've carved out to to spend uh here with us on the vision lab podcast uh, it's been a remarkable experience for me and a learning experience. And, and I just, I thank you, brother, for 
from um, learning more about how you overcame a lot of different difficult things as a child. Um, the advocacy that you and the advocacy efforts that you put forth in the community, and obviously the the NFL is, is cool, right? But that's not who. That's not the only thing about uh, Terrell Brown. But I just want to say thank you for for joining us. It's been a it's been a real treat for me. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I've got I've got one question I'd love to ask, and it's a two part question. No worries. Okay. And so the first part goes like this. If you were to rewind the clock five years ago, what would the 34-year-old Terrell Brown tell himself at 29? What advice would you give yourself? None, never underestimate your ability and never underestimate yourself. You know? Why? The, um, Have you ever? You don't seem like the type of person that's ever doubted yourself. I've never doubted myself, but at the same time, when, when you work in a profession... Uh, like the NFL or, or or any job, I think sometimes you're undervalued on the work and effort that you put in compared to where your company, your team, your organization may see you. So I would say to any student athlete, always value yourself at every level, but always be willing to learn and work at every level because the difference between being good and great is only paying attention to the details. And a lot of us overlook some of those details because we want to rush the success. Right. But success doesn't always come overnight. You know, I rather slow grind it out than no grind. So for me personally, I would tell everybody, you know, believe in yourself at all times, uh, trusting your ability and give 110% of everything you do and make sure you love what you're doing because if you don't love what you're doing you'll be easily distracted and deterred in other ways so forgive me but i'm about to fast forward the clock and make you five years older okay okay so now you're 39 all right now what is your 39 year old version of yourself telling terrell brown at 34 what advice are you looking back and telling yourself now continue to make smart investments Continue to put yourself around people that are smarter than you. And always be willing to learn. Always be willing to soak up knowledge, you know, because the knowledge is the power. And once you apply that knowledge, now you have an opportunity to succeed even more or have an opportunity to step that level of play up because we have daughters that are watching us day in and day out. And we have to be that example, positive in their life that shows them the right way. And they picking up everything, every mannerism, everything that we do. They're just a sponge soaking up every little bit of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And what type of legacy do you want to leave? My legacy I want to leave is being an honorable man and somebody and my kids can be somebody or a man my kids can be proud of. Right. So that's what I would I would look back to myself and say, make sure that you're somebody your kids would be proud to bring your name up when you're gone that's my dad. or five years from now. That's my dad. Yeah. That's him. Before we close it out, one more time, your websites, social media handles, any way that people can get a hold of you. Uh, the website, terrellbrown.com for the Brown Kids Foundation. You can check us out also on my business website at tbstut25.com or you can also check us out on Instagram at 
S-T-U-T-W-O-R-L-D. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice you've been hearing is Terrell Brown. He's Ryan Cuffey. I'm Ryan Mosley, and you've been listening to the Vision Lab podcast, and we'll see you next week.